Today on Locked On Ducks Hockey, the Ducks spark a new rivalry with the Buffalo Sabres. Also, we talk about Fedoras and their history in the NHL, sort of. All of this on today's Locked On Ducks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Good morning, hockey fans. You are locked in with Jason J.D. Hernandez on this warm Thursday morning, and I'm joined by a special guest, host of Locked On Angels, the one and only Taylor Blake Ward. How you doing, buddy? I'm good, man. Uh, not warm like you are, but I'm doing good. <laughs> Uh, once again, this is Locked on Ducks, your daily podcast covering the Ducks. Don't forget, you'll get fresh daily content Monday through Friday, as well as a weekly look at the San Diego goals. If you heard yesterday's podcast, we devoted an entire show to the AHL affiliate. But that was yesterday. Before we get into last night's fracas, you can listen to this podcast or any of the shows on the Locked on Podcast Network via Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, or Spotify. Also, you can go over to your Alexa smart device and say, Hey Alexa, play Locked On Ducks Hockey and hope that you hear my voice on the other end. And if you don't, then you can try listening to the Rick D's Disco Duck record and hope that the vinyl transforms you into another dimension where it slowly morphs into a podcast or try looking manually on Apple or Google Podcasts. So if you're listening already, make sure to subscribe. Also, we have a Twitter account. This show is at LO underscore Ducks or follow me at StimpyJD. And, okay, what the hell happened in Anaheim last night? Taylor, what the hell happened last night? I mean, really, (laughs) of all the teams the Ducks have some beef with, I didn't expect the Buffalo Sabres to make that short list of teams that'd be ready to fight at a moment's notice. I mean, Buffalo's a a very good team at getting, you know, they get the sticks in the way. They cause a lot of disruption. Um, And, you know, the first period, the Ducks just didn't have a lot of fluidity to them until the end of the period. And when you cause that disruption uh, in center ice, it becomes a problem and you become a little agitated. Um, You know, it wasn't it wasn't as crazy as I thought it'd be until they started coming along the boards and there were some hard hits along the boards. Uh, Rowney had a really hard hit along the boards that disrupted the, the I was going to say the Buffalo Bills, but the Buffalo Sabres. <laughs> um, it was just a disruptive game. The Ducks did a great job of eliminating Jack Eichel from uh, the game in a sense. I know that he had the breakaway goal, but they did a good job of uh, – it was just two teams that really had a good game plan against each other. And sometimes when your game structure is impacted, it causes this kind of uh, abrasive nature. Yeah, and I want to talk about, first off, I'm going to sound like a broken record. Slow start for the Ducks yet again, and Jack Eichel has a lot of speed. He's still, to me, one of the premier players in the league. And for the Ducks to neutralize him for most of the game, I think is a great game plan for the Ducks themselves, right? Yeah, watching Jack Eichel and just how easy, I mean, the game of hockey is not easy, and Jack Eichel slowed the game down, had this confidence about him that was seeing him play live really makes it special to understand the kind of player that Jack Eichel is maybe the points aren't there maybe the the goals aren't there but he is everything that came you know everything that they talked about when he was out in Boston this is this is it he is a special player has a chance to be elite uh maybe the stats aren't going to be padded the way that it is for other guys like Connor McDavid uh, he, well, he's not a Steven Stamkos. He's not cherry-picking from the wing, but 
no, this guy, he he's the real deal. He's a very special player. Good in the face-off uh, circle, great uh, speed, great presence, especially on the power play. Mm-hmm. Was able to walk in some pucks and really create some opportunities. Um, I thought that Jack Eichel looked fantastic, and the Ducks were able to kind of kind of isolate him a little bit. Uh, it didn't really it didn't uh, turn into a problem for the other Saber players, offensive players, but. Uh, they were definitely able to uh, limit Jack Eichel's opportunities. Uh, they they were able to once they started getting going and working with their plan. Their defensive scheme, I think, is still something to be worked on. I mean, the Ducks' defense still has stuff to be worked on to allow these kind of things to happen. I've been calling it picket fence defense for a few games now. I mean, would you agree with that? In a sense, I mean, there was some, there was quite a few players that were flat-footed, uh, more on the uh, the offensive players uh, that were caught flat-footed on defense at times. But you know, the Sabers had a good rush attack. You know, they had a great attack plan coming in. Um, they kind of isolated Hampus Lindholm at times. Were able to get him away from the puck, um, and that kind of, you know, if you can isolate the best defenders and get them away from you and you're able to create your own opportunities. I mean, the Sabres had quite a few shots in the first period. I think they were up to around 17 shots, something like that. Yeah. And uh, they found their opportunities. They weren't gr- It wasn't great looks going to the net on every shot, but they found opportunities low, and uh, they also created open, sp- uh, open ice. Yeah, you mentioned that. The Buffalo Sabres had 19 shots on goal to the Ducks' 11. And I'm going to say this. For, I think, the billionth game in a row, the Ducks got outshot in the first period. This is a problem that's got to end right now because, you know, they're they're allowing these opportunities. They're not getting in the way. They're letting teams like the Sabres, like the Blue Jackets, you know, teams that, frankly, are not that good in the standings right now. And they're just getting peppered with shots early on every single game. I mean, is that a problem that could rear its ugly head in the long run? Or what do the Ducks well, I mean, need to do to get off the schneid in the first period because this is a bad habit right now well they need to eliminate open ice opportunities and that's you know john gibson is really bailing this team out he did a great job in the first period i know that uh the the sabers did score twice on him but not i mean the jack eichel goal none of those are none of those are on gibson They really aren't, and but at the same time, you don't want John Gibson seeing forty shots a night, and it's nothing against John Gibson. He's one of the best goalies in the league. Maybe if he he might even be the best goalie in the league. Ooh. But at the same time, well, I said well, maybe, maybe, yeah. <laughs> um, but at the same time, you you don't want him seeing forty. Sh- I mean, even with a a nine fifty save percentage, that's still two three goals a game that you're letting him you know letting him see when you're letting them shoot it 40 times a night. And it's just not something that's really going to be, you're going to tire out John Gibson and you have Ryan Miller, which is a great asset to have because it's an experienced goaltender. That's going to be able to assist in John Gibson's duties, but you just don't want to be allowing that many shots, uh, shots per game and uh, shots on goal per game. Uh, Talk, talk about the ducks now, because we've got the second period where the ducks just really woke up and came alive and something that finally happened for the first time this season, the Ducks scored a power play goal. Finally. They were 0-4-16 before that point. And then Ryan Getzloff had a wonderful power play goal from Sam Steele and Cam Fowler. And this was midway through the second period. That gave the Ducks the lead for good. Um, Ryan Getzloff, as we mentioned, he's approaching his 1,000th game, and he's currently at 991. 
Um, how impressed were you with Ryan Getzloff getting out there um, on the power play? You know, Ryan did a great job of setting himself up. He had the pass over to, uh, was that uh, Sam Steele? That was Sam Steele, yeah. He had the pass over to Sam Steele, and Sam brought it back to him. But earlier in the game on a power play, they tried that same routine, going wing to wing, face-off dot to face-off dot, and Sam Steele had an incredible opportunity, and he held the puck. And it was yes. almost like it's it's almost too designed. Oh. It's almost like you could you can read this, and if they if that's the continuality, and they can't change that, and they have a set sa- uh, standard going to that right wing, and that's where you're shooting it, you're going to be able to isolate that as a defense. Um, they've got to become a little bit more creative in that opportunity, in my opinion. It did work last night, and Ryan Getzloff is you know, when you're talking about elite passers in this league, elite uh, shot creators, he's one of them. And he kind of created that opportunity for himself. Uh, but And it was a great shot. He found the inside uh, part of the post almost. And But he, I wasn't a big fan of – you know, I use this word isolation, but when you're going post to po- – or, uh, you know, wing to wing – and you're crossing across the middle, you can really break that down as a defense. And it's going to take a fantastic pass or passes like we saw last night to really uh, capitalize on those opportunities. I'd like to see them kind of open it up a little bit, maybe go to the point with Cam Fowler there. They did at times, but we saw this with San Diego. It's going to break mm-hmm. out. It's not going to be a 100% sex, uh, <laughs> success rate. Success. <laughs> I'm leaving that um, in. Yeah, success rate. And that's going to be an issue until they start becoming more creative. Uh, we got to head to a break right now, but can you hang on for maybe five more minutes afterwards? Yeah, sure. While I talk about Vivid Seats. Yeah, this is how you, the fan, can attend any sporting event, whether it's any Lakers or Clippers game. Chargers or Rams, or any Ducks game. With the Vivid Seats Rewards Loyalty Program, you can cheer on your favorite team and earn credit back on all purchases made through the Vivid Seats app. Vivid Seats is a top source for tickets where you can sort by price or look for seats in the section or row of your choice, all in the Vivid Seats app. Maybe you're back in town and you want to see the Ducks in action. Maybe you want to see them take on Boston on March 18th. Well, with Vivid Seats, all orders are backed by a 100% guarantee, and that's worth its price in Ducks Metallic Gold. So go to the App Store or Google Play and download the Vivid Seats app. Fans are automatically enrolled into the loyalty program and will enjoy credits on all purchases. Also, enter promo code POSTSEASON at checkout to receive a discount of up to $100. Once again, that's the Vivid Seats Rewards loyalty program via the Vivid Seats app, which you can download from the App Store or the Google Play Store. Vivid Seats, create your own sports memories. More with Taylor after the first intermission. Welcome back to Locked On Ducks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. You're locked in with Jason Hernandez and Taylor Blake Ward as we're still breaking down last night's game in Anaheim, talking about the Buffalo Sabres. And a couple more players that I want to bring up from last night's game that I thought really impressed me. Uh, One of them was Adam Henrique, who scored two goals last night. And one of them was a great shot from Henrique. Um, How impressed are you with his play so far this season? You know, I really like that line of Raquel and uh, Silverberg and Henrique. I feel yeah, like that Adam that Henry, line it, that line got uh, three goals by the way. No, four goals. 
Yeah, uh, Adam Henrique has a great shot, uh, but he also has a great presence in front of the net, which I didn't really re- – I, I never remembered him being that kind of power forward, uh, standing you know, standing against the defenseman, really pressuring the uh, the goaltender there. He and hasn't, I he's he hasn't a, been that kind of player up until maybe this season. Yeah, and, and I really liked his presence in front of the net. Um, he's not the biggest guy, but he does have some strength, and when you kind of mix that strength with – his precision of the game, he, he, I, that's kind of the thing I like most about him is he has a lot of precision when it comes to his game. I love his shot, uh, his shot ability. And when you mix him in with a guy like Ricard Raquel, who's very scrappy, also has a great shot, but also can make that play for you. And mm-hmm. along with Jacob Silverberg, who has a fantastic <laughs> uh, wrist shot, um, it's it's a good line, uh, but I was definitely impressed with Adam Henrique last night, especially his ability to kind of create his own opportunities. Yeah, uh, you get to hear me say this. The Ducks are 5-2 and two right now. I'm going to say this once again to all Ducks fans, and I'm going to say this for the billionth time. Temper your expectations. <laughs> they're 5-2, and two, but temper your expectations. I mean, they're good. Are they that good? <laughs> I mean... I just got to keep it honest here, Taylor. I mean, they looked uh, they looked apart last night, uh, especially in the second and third periods. They looked really good, really on sync in the second and third, but just a slow start. And I, I still worry about their their defensive presence on the offensive front. Mm-hmm. Um, they obviously had that uh, penalty kill p- uh, pair of Nick Ritchie and uh, is it Carter Rowney? Uh-huh. Carter Rowney, who had a couple really good hits last night, and Nick Ritchie, he did, who, and Nick Ritchie, who was trying to start crap last night. A little bit, a little bit, uh, a little bit. He, Although I got, I, I got to give, say, uh, I got to give props to Linus Olmark for trying to scrap in there on one of those fights. Anytime a goalie gets involved, it's a little bit fun. I didn't think that Olmark, I didn't think that Olmark needed to be a part of that, but uh, he sure found his way, didn't he? He did very much so. Um, I know you only have a minute; you have a limited amount of time, and we already have gone a long way in this episode. Anything you want to plug before we send you off, or anything more you want to yeah. say about the game? Yeah, it was a great game, um, and uh, if you want to cross Catella, you can check out Locked On Angels here on the Locked On Podcast Network. You want to also interact with us on the show? You can follow me at Taylor Blake Ward. You've got some pretty big news to handle this week, so yeah. Well, I mean, uh, when you hire a manager of the status that Joe Madden is, it, it gets pretty impressive. Oh, definitely, uh, Taylor. Once again, thanks very much for joining me for the second time this week on Locked On Ducks, and look forward to having you again later this season. Absolutely, thanks for having me on, Jason. All right, take care. Ooh, that is some special music right there. And finally, we're going to bring up something that I mentioned on the last show. We're going to talk about fedoras once again, but we're also going to talk about the origins of the hat trick. Now, this has been much debated over the history of hockey, and there's several stories here. And I'm going to start with the ones that are not exactly true stories. The origins of this phrase actually start with cricket back in the 1850s, and this took place for an all-England squad versus a team from Hallam, South Yorkshire. That was held because 
a guy had hit the wicket three consecutive times and he was presented with a hat. That was pretty cool. Now, the actual reason the phrase came about isn't exactly known. There is one that's more accepted than others. One story is that a Montreal haberdasher called Henri Henri for Henri Richard claims they coined the phrase after they began rewarding all the players who scored three goals during one game at the Montreal Forum with the free hat. Another claim came from the Canadian city of Gullup, whose 1947 Junior A team was sponsored by Biltmore Hats, and they were dubbed, not even kidding, the Gullup Biltmore Mad Hatters. Yeah, this was some marketing scheme to advertise a new style of fedora, and the company would give any brand new hat to any league player who scored three goals in a game. However, this is not the story that is recognized the most. The Hockey Hall of Fame recognizes the story of the owner of the Toronto Haberdashery from Sammy Taft. And the way this story goes is all the way back in 1946, a young man by the name of Sammy Taft owned a hat shop. And he said that he promoted his business by offering a hat to any player who scored three goals during an NHL game in Toronto. Now, Alex Coletta, who was a forward with the Chicago Blackhawks, went into Taft's shop on January 26th, 1946, and really liked the fedora that he had on the store. Coletta fell in love with a new gray fedora that was on sale with a gray silk band around the top. And Coletta had just returned to playing professional hockey after serving in the Canadian military during World War II. But he didn't have enough money for the hat. So Taft made him a deal that if Coletta could score three goals against the Leafs that night, he would come back to the shop and get the hat for free. And sure enough, Coletta did just that. He scored not three, but four goals in the game. And the Blackhawks ended up losing to the Leafs 6-5 at Maple Leaf Gardens. So after all of that, and after all the media attention, he got the free hat out of it anyway. So Taft would continue the trick and award a free hat to any player who scored three goals in a single game at the Maple Leaf Gardens. And that phrase eventually evolved into the three-goal celebration that we know today. And as far as hats being thrown onto the ice, well, that's up for debate. And apparently that may have started in the 1950s somewhere in Canada, either Montreal or Toronto, where when someone would score three goals, a couple people would throw their hats onto the ice. Back then, most people would wear fedoras to these games. And going back to Sammy Taft himself, he was a very well-known hat salesman, or sorry, he owned a haberdashery. And he had such a great story that he, you know, posed with many stars, and he dressed people like Duke Ellington, Bob Hope, among others. And he became the world-famous hatter. In fact, he sold up to 10,000 hats in a year during the 1940s of the Great Heyday. And one of the quotes that he had was, or about him was, quote, He would mold the unformed hatness to fit the essential you. You came in looking like a short elderly golfer, and you went out looking like Cab Calloway. And Sammy Taft actually did an interview back in the early 90s, where he was the quote-unquote mascot of the old Ottawa Senators back in 1927. So this is a quote from Taft all the way back. 
and this is from a 1992 article in the Hockey News. Quote, Back then, a mascot was a good luck charm. Whenever King Clancy or Alex Connell slipped me a dime, I had to go to the grocery store and pick up chewing tobacco and oranges for all the players. I guess it was better luck when I went in for them. And Taft was just 13 years old when the Sens won the Stanley Cup, again, back in 1927. Of course, his greatest contribution came with the hat trick. And another quote from him, quote, There was no rhyme or reason to it. I just, for some reason, said, You go out there and score three goals tonight, and I'll give you the hat. And sure enough, he went and knocked out three goals, four. And that was really the start of the hat tradition. He stopped giving out hats for hat tricks in the mid-1950s, but the term stuck ever since, and he's recognized in the Hockey Hall of Fame as the originator of the term hat trick. His most presentation came in 1952, when Bill Mozienko of the Chicago Blackhawks scored a natural hat trick in 21 seconds at the Gardens. That's still the record for the fastest hat trick in NHL history to this day. And even up to his 80th birthday, he still owns and operated that hat store in Toronto. And at the time, he had no plans to retire. Uh, Unfortunately, he passed away in 1994 when the hat store was still open. Now it is a beauty parlor in Toronto. But the memories of the haberdashery still ring true in the city of Toronto. And we still see some players rocking the fedora to this day. Obviously, Pasta Pasternak wore the hat trick fedora hat when he scored four goals on Monday. And just to close out the story, another famous classic hockey player who still wears fedoras to this day. That would be the San Diego Goals' very own Willie O'Ree. Yes, O'Ree still wears fedoras to this day. To this day, still looks very fashionable, and gotta love the guy for that. And with that, we're going to wrap up this episode of Locked On Ducks. But you can download today's podcast or any of the previous few episodes on the Locked On Podcast Network via Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, or Spotify. Also, make sure to follow the Twitter at LO underscore Ducks. And you can follow me personally at StimpyJD. And I'm going to plug the other NHL podcasts. Includes the Canadiens, the Kings, the Flyers, the Bruins, the Sharks. And I'll plug once again Locked on Angels. Again, big thanks to Taylor Blake Ward for coming on earlier on this show. And I really want to thank everyone for listening. Be sure to subscribe if you have not already. I want to hear from you guys throughout the campaign. So hit me up on Twitter. Or email me at LockedOnAnaheimDucks at gmail.com. Again, I want to start a weekly mailbag at some point. Once again, that's LockedOnAnaheimDucks at gmail.com. For Locked On Ducks, I'm Jason J.D. Hernandez saying have a great day. I'll see you at the rink and stay cool, Anaheim. Anaheim.